my love tribe. Welcome to Heart Bloom Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Christian, and I help others love and discover themselves to reach their highest potential. And today we are talking all about relationship sabotage. Yes. Oh my goodness. This is probably going to be one of the best episodes out of this entire series, because in this episode, I'm going to cover with you the top sabotaging behaviors and relationships, ones that you can see maybe some of the behaviors you've been exhibiting in your relationships, as well as being able to recognize those sabotaging behaviors in other people when it comes to relationships, because we can get easily, easily distracted when we see something we really like, and we want to project what we desire onto this person. And it can become really confusing when things aren't going the right way, but then you feel attached. And it's so much that's involved from our childhood and the way that our parents raised us. And it's just so interesting to me, the way relationships develop and how we behave in those relationships. And I think it's really important for us to just take this time to really reflect on how we are in relationships and how we can become better and healthier in all of our interactions with others and to recognize some of those deep rooted issues that we may have from our childhood to help us heal properly. It seems really easy to heal when you're by yourself because you don't have that other person reflecting anything back in you to recognize some of the behaviors that may be coming up. But that's why I want to take this time to go over these things in this episode, whether you're single or in relationships, so that you can really reflect and say, hmm, yep that's what I need to work on. Or "Mm, I've actually grown a lot. I remember when I used to do that. Or ah, that's why I was attracted to that type of person. So I'm really excited. And I can't wait to just dive into this with you. So when it comes to relationships, and sabotaging behaviors, a lot of times, the behaviors are tolerable in the beginning, or they may even be desirable in the beginning. They may seem like, ooh, like this is nice, (laughs) right? Like you might say, hmm, okay. And I think also with the media and seeing that constant reinforcement of unhealthy relationships over time, rather we grew up in it and then seeing it constantly, we really have a very low bar of seeing what is supposed to be a healthy, proper relationship. Now, of course, I went over those healthy pillars and relationships in the previous episode of what makes a healthy relationship. But here, we are getting into the nitty gritty of those sabotaging behaviors. So of course, a lot of times when it comes to sabotaging behaviors, they don't intend to be damaging, but they are. They don't intend to go in and, oh, I'm going to destroy this relationship. Like they have no intention of doing that. It just happens. So sometimes we can take on those sabotaging behaviors from another person, apply them into other relationships in the future if we don't heal properly or if we don't detach ourselves from what is not a part of who we actually are. So I want to get into the first sabotaging behavior. Now, this is something I'm sure we've all run into. And it varies. It varies from person to person on a level of intensity. And the first sabotaging behavior is going to be insecurity. 
that feeling of fear of loss in relationships, constantly needing that reassurance, constantly worrying if the person is pulling away from you, if they're not desiring you anymore, always feeling insecure. There's only a few bursts of moments where you feel really safe in the relationship. And I don't mean safe, like away from damage or harm, but safe as in you feel comfortable, you feel stable in the relationship. And a lot of times this can look like possessive behavior, feeling anxious, being very jealous in relationships. It is really tough because those that are innately insecure cannot be soothed out of their distress. There is nothing that the other person can possibly do or give their energy towards or attention towards to make the other person feel safe and calm and secure in the relationship because this is something that's not really tied to the other person. That's the illusion of relationships, right? We always think it's the other person. We always project what we're feeling onto the other person and it's like this weird reflection, illusion type of thing. But what we're dealing with is our own internal world. And we're utilizing this partner, this other person as this stimuli, really, to engage with and to work out our own unhealed wounds that we have buried deep into our subconscious mind. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. And just to see and gauge if this is something that's been an issue for you. Are you likely to focus on whether relationships will last or do you just enjoy being in that present moment? Do you find yourself obsessing over slight change in your partner if there seems to be less interest? Like, do you notice if maybe they don't text you as much or contact you as much? Do you feel like insecure or shaky or anxious when you feel like they're starting to pull away? Do you feel threatened by your partner's close relationships? If they have a lot of friends, if they're close with their family, do you start to feel very anxious or fearful or even possessive over them whenever they have those really close-knit relationships with others that are not with you? And do you constantly seek reassurance? Is this something that you're constantly asking, do you love me? But do you really like me? So you like me, right? Do you think I'm attractive? Constantly seeking that validation and reassurance to feel safe. But the truth of the matter is, is that it doesn't matter what the person says. It doesn't dissolve your feeling of insecurity. It may give you a very, very short amount of satisfaction in that moment to say, oh, okay, I just had to make sure I wasn't, uh, you weren't leaving me. I was just making sure. But what we don't realize is that through this interaction of being so insecure, this pushes the other person away. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't take it. This is a headache. Like, I just want to enjoy being around you. I just want to be with you. I want to focus on growing the relationship, but we're constantly focused on your insecurity and I can't breathe. And that pushes the other person away. Or have you dated someone like that where they're constantly like, 
seeking that validation. Do you really want to be with me? Blah, blah, blah. Like, could you imagine how exhausting that is? But when you are in that position, when you're the one that's feeling insecure, you just feel it. And it feels tough. It feels like, oh my gosh, I feel like this person's going to go away. I really like this person. I really want to be with them, but I feel like they're just going to leave me. Like I'm not good enough. I don't feel like I'm worthy enough. I don't feel pretty or handsome or attractive or smart or rich or whatever enough. You never feel enough. And that is why I focus so much on self-love and building that relationship with yourself so that when you are in that habit of building that healthy relationship with yourself and really understanding your worth and your value, that when you get into these relationships, you've built such a solid foundation on who you actually are. You're not having to seek that approval or question your existence or question your worthiness. You know, you have that knowing and that makes you so much more attractive to your partner. Of course, everybody's going to feel maybe a little tiny bit of insecurity at times. That just happens when it comes to relationships, right? Especially if you didn't have a solid childhood or maybe you had a parent that wasn't always emotionally available to you or wasn't always empowering or supportive of you. This is very, very common. Many of us dealt with this. So I don't want you to think like you're doomed, right? We don't want to feel like, oh man, like I'm never going to get over this. Oh, I guess I just won't be in a relationship because I'm going to sabotage it because I'm insecure. No, like we don't want to allow for our past to define our future. We want our past to just let us know the reasons why we may be the way we are at this present moment in time. But if we take the time to really understand ourselves and focus on improving and becoming who we really want to be, we can overcome that. We can absolutely overcome that. And so you might be thinking, if this is so bad, then how do these people even get in relationships? And a lot of times when someone is insecure, that attracts those that really want to be helpful. So if you think about another person who is very caring or nurturing or loves to help or loves to just inspire, motivate other people, this can easily become attractive because that is fulfilling their need to want to make another person feel better. But over time, that's going to become exhausting if that's the main focus of the relationship is constantly trying to heal the insecurity. But that is your responsibility if you're the one that's insecure. If you're not the one that's insecure, the other person is insecure. That's their responsibility to heal that. There's absolutely nothing that the other partner can do. So that's the first one. And we have a lot more to go. (laughs) As I know, there's many different behaviors. And also, I just want to share that this is coming from a fantastic book by Dr. Randy Gunther called Relationship Saboteurs. I found this book and it honestly blew my mind. And once I learned this information, like I just have to share it, you know, but definitely go check that book out because it is life 
changing. It also shares a lot of information about how to overcome these behaviors and steps to resolve those issues and to heal from it. And I'll share a little bit with you, but just really check out that book. It's an easy read. It's a short book. It's really, really good. So the next sabotaging behavior is going to be the controller, the one that needs to run the show. And a lot of times, not only do they feel obligated to be in control, but they feel entitled to control others. Like they feel that that is their role in the relationship is to control the other person. That's how they relate to the relationship. And they feel the need to dominate in order to hide their fear of being controlled. So this can happen if a person grew up with a very controlling or overbearing parent. Like this felt very uncomfortable. It felt very restrictive. It felt like you were being trapped. It felt like you weren't free growing up. And so now that you're an adult, you don't want to feel like that ever again. It just felt so hard for you if you deal with controlling behavior. And so the only way to combat this is to try to control the other person, to be the first one to control the other person, to dominate over that relationship. Have you ever dated a person like this? Or do you find yourself having those controlling behaviors? So someone that is very controlling will feel comfortable with making all the rules. They're the ones they have the itinerary planned out. They've got the rules. This is how this is going to go. This is how we need to do this X, Y, and Z. So in this relationship, there's no freedom, right? We don't allow for the other person to share what they want to share or share their rules or their boundaries. And then we start to feel resentful when the other person argues the decisions that we've made if we're the controlling one. And it can be a very restrictive type of relationship. Like you'll struggle. You might even punish the other person for disagreeing with you on something or not doing what you tell them to do. So as you can see, we have now started to embody a parent that's very controlling and they tell us, oh, you didn't do what I told you to do. Then now you're punished. Either I'm going to give you the silent treatment. I'm going to withdraw from you. If they're abusive, if maybe they had a physically abusive parent, they might be physically abusive towards you as a way to punish you for you not doing what they told you to do. It is like they literally become this carbon copy of the parent that they feared in order to have power. That is how they're relating to relationships is by power. They don't relate to relationships as love because they didn't feel love in those relationships. They felt power. So to them, that is what makes them feel like they are in a relationship is to have power, not to have love. And so you might ask yourself, why would anybody be attracted to that? Like, what is attractive about that type of person? Well, someone that is very controlling is usually very attentive to someone's needs. They seem very observant. They're like, you know what? I noticed that you know you needed this or whatever, and that might feel really nice to you. Or maybe there was no structure in your previous relationships or there was no movement in your previous relationships. And someone that is controlling you, might make you feel safer 
It might make you feel like they're taking the lead on things, they're taking initiative, like it feels really good. And that is how you can become easily attracted to someone that might be controlling. Now, it doesn't mean that just because someone takes the lead or because they're observant of your needs that they are controlling, but those are typically the things that people are attracted to in regards to controlling people. So the next relationship saboteur is going to be the fear of intimacy. Oftentimes, someone may feel torn between desire and expecting disaster, right? Like you might feel like, oh, like I really want this relationship. I want to be close to someone, Eh, but it might go crazy. Like I might just like lose control or this person may hurt me in some type of way. Ah, I'm out of here. So usually as the relationship starts to deepen, that person is going to fear that they're going to lose themselves to the other person and they're out of there. They're going to bolt, they're going to jet, or they might leave temporarily, they might come back, or they might permanently just ghost. They might just leave just because it just, ugh, it just feels like I'm losing myself. And a lot of times this happens with either a physical intimacy, that person might have experienced sexual abuse or traumatic sexual experiences or traumatic physical abuse. It doesn't always have to be sexual, but maybe they dealt with physical abuse previously, maybe in their childhood or in another relationship. There are so many reasons, or maybe they have gotten into emotionally intimate relationships and that other person throws something back in their face. They don't feel like they can really trust when they share something with someone. They feel like it's going to come back to haunt them or it's going to be used against them in some way. And it's difficult for them to feel really vulnerable. And this is tough because not every relationship is going to end that way. And a lot of times you'll attract others based on your own fear that are going to do that to you because of what you're attracting. So I'm going to ask you a few questions to see if you maybe deal with fear of intimacy. So are you only able to be passionate and open when you're the one in control? If you feel out of control, are you still able to open up? Do you start to retreat when someone gets too close to you? Do you feel that urge or need to start jetting, like getting out of there as quick as possible? Do you sincerely feel like you really want to connect but then you feel trapped later on. So these might be some indicators that you have a fear of intimacy. Now, what attracts someone to someone that has a fear of intimacy? Well, a lot of times they seem mysterious, elusive, a little out of reach, and that can be very attractive because there's always something that you're not always getting from the other person. And that's just a part of attraction. People are very curious people. They want to know as much as possible. Even the ones that have the fear of intimacy, they want to know everything. And if there's a little mystery to something, that just becomes really attractive to not know everything. There's almost a little bit of respect that goes with mystery. So that is what makes someone attractive. Yeah, it might be sabotaging later down the road, but that's what can attract a person to someone that has a fear of intimacy. And so the next relationship saboteur is going to be the need to win. The one that is constantly competitive. 
You use your relationships as a form of a game. Everything is a game. You always need to win, always need to prove your point, always need to be right all of the time. And this can get really, really destructive. It's like another person's not even able to have their own opinions about anything or their own points or their own views. You have to argue everything about this person if it is not in agreement with you and you will go to the greatest extent of proving your point. Oftentimes, these are people that are poor losers and they will turn on others quickly if they feel that their opinions or their thoughts or ideas don't triumph and they have to have the last word. I want to ask you, how far do you go to prove your point? Do you risk intimacy to prove any points that you have just for the sake of being right? Are you a sore loser? And when you feel challenged, do you take on a fighting position right away? Are you ready to go into the debate booth and press that buzzer? Or are you able to just have a natural conversation and just, hey, you know what? If I wasn't right, okay, it's not a big deal. Or do you have to be right about everything? So a lot of times this can be very attractive to those that like to have fun with competition. They like to debate a lot of times. This can be really attractive to those types of people if they're really interested in, you know, going head to head on things and bantering back and forth and debating and all of this kind of stuff. But again, this can really drive the relationship apart because we're not taking that time to grow if we're constantly wanting to be right all of the time. It's like the other person can never win. So I know we've covered a lot so far. I want to take a quick break and we'll be right back after this message. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, my love tribe. Welcome back. And we are getting back into learning more about the sabotaging behaviors in relationships. Now, the next sabotaging behavior is going to be the pessimist. This is the one that doesn't have any faith in any good outcomes. And they almost wear this badge of honor that if they believe in disappointment or protecting themselves, like, oh, no, that'll never happen, that it's a good thing, like a way of, you know, protecting themselves. So why is it a sabotager? It is a sabotager because a lot of times this is something that it can never turn out good no matter how good it is, everything is too good to be true. This typically is formed coming from a highly dysfunctional family background in your childhood or dealing with inherited depression. And it's really difficult on the other partner to make the relationship work if you're constantly expecting for it to fail. Just to ask you a few questions, do you invalidate your partner's devotion assuming the worst. When a person is 
trying to give their best or giving their all. They're telling you that I'm in it. I'm here for you. This is going to work out. You're just like, nope, I don't believe it. I believe it when I see it. But the problem is you never see it because you're constantly looking through the lens of negativity. Do you reject the hopeful outcomes as if nothing good could ever happen for you? Do you believe that you just are this unlucky person and nothing good could ever come your way? Or as soon as you get something good, it goes away. And have you had past partners that have communicated to you that there's nothing that they could possibly do that could make you feel good or make you feel happy or loved in the relationship? You're always finding the fault in the relationship. Now, how can this be attractive? Well, typically those that are depressed or pessimistic will typically attract those that are always wanting to brighten someone's day. So they see this as an opportunity, almost a bit of a challenge, like, you know, they seem really down. I just want to make them feel happy. Those that are attracted to pessimistic people most likely had pessimistic or depressed parents. So this feels very familiar and normal to them. The next relationship saboteur is going to be the center stage. You've got to be the center of attention. Everything is me, 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 me. There's a little ounce of narcissism here. So this is someone that needs to be the center stage and they inappropriately draw attention to themselves. You ever have that friend? You're out, you're going to a party and they just have to get all of the attention no matter what. That's this type of person. Or do you deal with this? Do you have to have all the attention? Those that like to be the center of attention often miss social cues that tell them that the person they're speaking to is either overloaded with information that the person is sharing, or they're just not interested. They're not giving a lot of feedback. They say, oh, yeah, okay, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, okay. And they just keep on going. I ever meet any of those types of people where it's like they just don't pick up on the person is like slowly backing out of the room, trying to ease their way away from them. (laughs) And those that crave constant one way interactions, their partners can't get a word in edgewise and they turn all the conversations back towards them. For example, let's say you're having this conversation with someone and you're like, oh, how was your day? And the other person says, well, it was good. I've been working on this project that I'm really passionate about. And I go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I I worked on a project last year and it was so much fun and I really felt good when I worked on it and blah, 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 blah. Like the other person got maybe two seconds of saying something and the person found one little piece out of that sentence and turned it back on them. So I'm going to ask you a few questions just to see if maybe this resonates with you. Is it hard to listen to others if what they say does not pertain to you? If they're not talking about you, if they're not hyping you up in some way, is this something that is just hard for you to listen to? If they're just talking about neutral information or even talking about themselves, is it hard to listen? Do you feel neglected if you're not put first? Do you feel unloved that that person's not giving their full attention to you 100% of the time? 
Do you have tantrums or withdrawal if you don't get your way? A lot of times, this type of sabotaging behavior is established when maybe you didn't get a lot of attention as a child or you got too much attention as a child from your parents and there was not those proper boundaries set or even the opportunity for you to value other people around you. So what makes this person attractive? Someone that is a center stage person can allow tentative people the time they need to get more comfortable before they interact. So it actually draws the other person in because the person that likes to be center stage will also give that stage to the other person in the very beginning just so that they can kind of feel comfortable. But after that, they need to be the ones that is shining in this position. So the next relationship saboteur is going to be the addict. This is the one that's got to have it. They've got to have it. They have these intense cravings. And they often pull people away from their own values and behaviors that actually keep the relationship very healthy. They don't respect boundaries. And a lot of times this addictive behavior that's shown from the other person is actually very desirable when the relationship is new. It makes you feel like, oh, this person is really all about me. So those that have addictive cravings in the very beginning put all of their feelings of addiction on the other person. And so this becomes the focus for a while. But throughout the relationship, as it continues to evolve and the feelings of being around that other person starts to diminish, those addictive behaviors start to go to other things, right? It starts to transfer over to other focuses, maybe substance abuse. It could be hooking up with other people, such as cheating. It could just be an addiction to literally almost anything. And the other person can never give their best to the relationship. So I'm just going to ask a few questions about this one here. So do you hide your behavior when your cravings come up? Do you feel out of control when you have this intense craving? Do you get defensive when your partner holds you accountable? So let's say your addiction started to come in or maybe you're addicted to something else and that other person is holding you accountable for your actions or saying, you know what, you told me that you are not going to continue to drink over and over again, and you're still doing it. Do you get defensive and say, ah, you know what, get off my back? Do desires keep you from being the person you actually want to be? So this happens oftentimes with people who have low self-esteem coupled with addiction. What happens is, is that you're always wanting to feel better for the moment, you feeling really bad about yourself. You have a very negative image about yourself. So you're constantly wanting to feel better in that moment, whatever it takes to feel good. But you never actually cross over. You don't focus on becoming a better person or healing any parts of yourself. You just become addicted to whatever it is that's going to make you feel good for that moment. And this will always destroy a healthy relationship because there's no growth, there's no healing, there's no progression. It just stays in this vicious cycle of addictions. And the other person can't 
grow with you? And also, do your relationships fall apart because of your addictive behavior? So what can attract someone to someone that may be an addict? Well, in the beginning, addictive behaviors seem very acceptable and exciting when the love is new. So let's say you just met this person and everything's fresh. You don't know anything about their background. You know nothing about them. And they seem like they are all about you. They are wanting to be around you. They're wanting to soak up all of your essence. They just want to be with you all the time. And this can make you feel so desired. It makes you feel really good to be around this person because they are like, oh, like you're like their drug. This is not healthy because it's not actually building a relationship. This person is now becoming dependent on you. And over time, when they don't get whatever they're feeling is, that spark, that craving, when that's not being fulfilled, they're going to find an addiction to something else. Addictions can drive anyone to put aside their values, their obligations, or their commitments in pursuit of a journey that will always end in loss. The next relationship saboteur is going to be the martyr. Being with a martyr is like being with this credit card that you can never pay off. It feels like there is this constant debt that you can never repay. A martyr is someone that is like, no, 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 I, I got it. I got it. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do that for you. You didn't even ask for anything. They're constantly giving to you all the time. And you're like, no, 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 it's fine. Like, I don't want it. It's okay. No, no, no. Let me give to you. Let me give to you. Let me give to you. And then you start to feel guilty. You almost feel guilt tripped into being in a relationship with this person because they have given so much. And that's kind of their way of getting you in the relationship is by over giving and to have you stay with them because now you have to pay back your debt. And it feels like a trap at the end of the day. So in the beginning, it feels like, you know, oh my gosh, this person is so generous. They're giving me so much like, oh my goodness. But then over time, let's say, you know, I don't know, I'm not really feeling this relationship. It doesn't feel good. Relationships are all about give and take, giving and receiving. And so if that other person does not give you the opportunity to give, they're going to become resentful. And when you're ready to leave the relationship or you don't see it going in a progressive way, they're going to hit you with that whole list of what they've done for you. Well, you know, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. And this is the least you could do for me. There's never a way to actually ever compliment someone that's overly giving. People that are martyrs typically lack boundaries and they are big people pleasers. They want to be accepted and validated so badly in relationships that they will give their all and give everything just for the sake of being loved. And oftentimes, people that are martyrs are attracted to predestined relationships that are set up to fail. It's just they're attracted to those that are not giving. They're attracted to those that take away from them and are very selfish people. 
So it's never going to actually be a good, healthy relationship. So to ask you a few questions to see if this resonates with you, do you feel used and unfairly discarded when relationships end? Do you feel like you've given your all and then that person leaves you and you're left with nothing? Is it hard for you to ask your partners for what you feel you deserve? Do you feel good about not asking for a lot? Does that feel good to you to say, well, I don't really need a lot. I don't need a lot from my partner. I don't need you to give me anything. So what can attract a person to a martyr? In the beginning, they can feel very generous. They feel like they're so kind. They feel like they're just this awesome giving person. But then over time, you realize that the giving just doesn't quit. And maybe if you're a selfish person, or let's say on the flip side, maybe you're the giver, takers are going to be attracted to givers. So that is what's going to attract a person to a martyr is someone that is looking to receive a lot of times. The next relationship saboteur is going to be the defensive one. So this involves constantly reversing the blame. Let me tell you, have you heard this before? You may say something, you say, well, you know, I've noticed a few times when you don't really listen to what I have to say and they come back with, well, what about you? What about the time that I was trying to talk about? You do that too. You don't always listen to me. It's like, okay. (laughs) Or they insult the other person's intelligence. They might say something like, uh, that was really stupid of you to say something like that. They're constantly making excuses. Oh, yeah, I know I was going to do that. But yeah, I, I, I've I, just had a lot going on right now. And, and, you know, you should really just back off a little bit. Like I'm dealing with a lot. They're exaggerating dramatically. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe you always go. You always bring this up and do this. Blah, da, 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 da. And they cite one exception to an accusation. So let's say you might say something like, you know, it's hard to really get any time with you. And I feel like we're not really growing. Oh, come on. That's not true. That's completely false. Because what was it back in June? We went to go to that game that one time. So that's not true. The bottom line is that when you're dealing with someone that's always defensive, there's never any room for improvement. There's never any room for growth. And it's difficult to get anywhere because you're seeing some things that are bothering you and you should always feel safe enough to communicate in the relationship. But as soon as you say something, that person's like, nope, 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 not me. That's you. Nope. They don't want to accept accountability and say, okay, I can see how you feel that way. Let me provide you with some clarification on where my mind was or, okay, you know what? I apologize. Let's do better. What can we do to resolve this issue? Let's find some solutions. It's never future oriented. It's not focused on actually resolving anything. It's just a matter of defending them in their relationship. This is something that a lot of us deal with, even coming from ourselves. Sometimes you may feel that 
you are giving in the relationship, or maybe you feel that you're doing something right, and this other person's communicating to you that, no, you're not doing it right. And it feels like rejection. It feels like you aren't a good person. You start attaching your worth to it. Maybe growing up, you might have dealt with being insulted a lot or being verbally abused or having someone telling you that you're not good enough. So now you're stuck in this mode of constantly trying to defend who you are, but you can't see past that. You can't actually see the reality of the relationship. And it's difficult to have any type of growth and health and development when building a relationship with someone. So I want to ask you just a few questions. Are you able to listen to a complaint without invalidating what your partner's telling you. If someone brings something up and they say, you know what, I'm struggling to really connect with you. I feel like, yeah, we're in the same room, but we're not really connecting. You're constantly on your phone or you're not listening to me. What is your reaction? Do you say, you know what, you're always so sensitive. You're so needy. You're so clingy. Or do you say, okay, let's set up a day where we can really talk and do something together that you would like to do? Or, you know what? I apologize. I've been dealing with a lot of stress and I didn't realize how much I was not communicating with you. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. Which way do you go when you deal with someone that gives you a little bit of a complaint? Do you defend yourself or do you seek to try to understand where the other person is coming from? Can you see how the other person is thinking from their perspective? Can you put yourself in their shoes or do you just focus on how you're feeling and what you think in that moment? So what can attract someone to someone who is defensive This is often attractive to those that like to escalate arguments, those that like to be the combative ones, the ones that like to win are often attracted to those that are defensive. They see it as something like, oh, they're going to banter with me. They're going to fight with me. I like this. And this is probably something that they saw within their own childhood and the way that their parents communicated. So to them, that feels like love. And so now we're at the very last relationship saboteur, and that is the trust breaker. This is the worst one of them all, because if you don't have trust in the relationship, there's no faith in the relationship, there's no relationship. A lot of times trust breakers do everything in their power to get out of being held accountable. They tell you they're going to do something. They share with you, yeah, we can do this. Yeah, I'm going to pick you up at eight o'clock. We're going to go on this date. Yeah, sure. And then where are they? And then you're like, you didn't communicate with me. I I thought we were going out to dinner. You told me, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, nah, yeah, work was really busy. Yeah, okay. I don't really remember agreeing to that time exactly. I said, yeah, we can probably do that. But I didn't say exactly, yes, I'm definitely going to do that. I didn't completely agree to that. That's usually their excuse sometimes. Now, of course, with relationships, things change. 
we evolve, time passes on, and the things that we may agree to in the beginning, they may need to be renegotiated over time. Totally acceptable. But when that person completely abandons their responsibility in their relationship, that's when you cannot trust them. And it's really difficult. So this may not always be someone that's going to lie about who they are or try to defend themselves. You just cannot trust them. They say they're going to do one thing and they do something else. Or they're always making you feel like you want too much when you both said that you're going to do it. But then later on, where are they? Where did it go? It just completely disappears. And it's hard to build any kind of faith that the relationship is going to go well. A person that is a trust breaker grew up with a lot of disappointments that things just never panned out for them. Things never worked out. They had a parent that said, yeah, 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 bud. You know, we're going to go to Disney World. Yeah, we're going to go this and that. I'm going to take you out. We're going to have a blast. And they just never went anywhere. My parents said, oh, well, you know, yeah, I know I said that, but you know, I have a lot going on. So it's just, it's just not going to work out this time. Sorry about that. And they take on this type of behavior. This is how they learn to communicate in relationships, which is completely dysfunctional, but that's where it comes from. So for this, I want to ask you, do you blame your partner when you're responsible for the issue? If you said you're going to do something, and you don't do it, and that person brings it up, do you put the blame on them? Do you keep your partner from knowing specific information that will cost you options if they were to know? Do you consistently betray your partner's trust? Do you tell them, yeah, 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 I'm going to do it this time, I'm going to do it this time? knowing good and well you are not going to do it and they trust you will you betray that do you take advantage of your partner's gullibility do you notice that you know they kind of believe everything i say yeah i'm gonna just take advantage of this real quick (laughs) i'm just going to take advantage of this you know, you're not, maybe you're not consciously saying that, but subconsciously it's like, oh my gosh, this person is so naive. They literally just believed everything I just said. Or do you just say, you know what, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be the honest person here. And the last question I want to ask, would you stay in a relationship with someone that behaves like you, knowing what you do behind closed doors? If your partner were to be this way, would you stay with them? So what attracts someone to a trust breaker? How is this attractive? Trust breakers will attract those that are used to being disappointed. They expect to be disappointed, but they're hopeful that maybe it will turn out well. So this can be someone that may have been, you know, the hopeless romantic or was constantly disappointed when they were younger, but was still hopeful. Like, I still have hope. Like, maybe it will still work out. Those people are typically attracted to trust breakers. And they feel familiar to them because maybe their parents were very similar in their behaviors as well. So these are all of our relationship saboteurs. The things that 
completely destroy relationships. They destroy love. And all of us are guilty of one of these to some level at some point throughout our lives. I know I am. I know that I've been probably a couple of these things before in the past. And now I look back and I go, yeah, that's what did it. (laughs) Or do we constantly stay in this false cycle of thinking, gosh, I just have bad luck with relationships. I don't know what is wrong. I don't know why people always leave me. I don't know why my relationships don't work out. Or do we want to take accountability and say, no, I know why my relationships don't work out because that's my issue or I'm attracted to that. So how do we overcome these relationship sabotaging behaviors? The first thing we want to do is observe ourselves without judgment. We want to be able to look at ourselves and to notice when we're behaving outside of love, when we're behaving out of fear and say, okay, we're doing this again. We don't judge ourselves don't say oh my gosh you're so stupid why do you keep doing this ah we just say you know what this is coming up again for me I recognize where I'm starting to behave in a state of fear the next thing to do is to find where those behaviors come from just go to the origin the root of the problem and notice where did this come from When did I start behaving this way? Who was this way when I was growing up? Did a parent exhibit these types of behaviors? So once you figure out where it comes from and locate the origin of these things, then you can say, ah, it's not necessarily me. It's not like I'm doomed, like this is a part of my entire code of who I am. This is something I learned. And if it's something you learned, then you can unlearn it. That is the most empowering and encouraging point about all of this is that just because you've learned to operate this way in relationships doesn't mean you have to stay this way. It will take time to learn new behaviors, but we can undo this. The next step is to identify your triggers. We are very sensitive people and we can find a trigger in almost anything. Maybe it's a certain phrase that someone says. Do you notice if someone says, oh my gosh, like you're terrible. Like maybe they're saying it in a joking way, but it might trigger you. Or maybe a certain expression or tone of their voice or a certain gesture that someone might do that might trigger you. Find where that trigger is coming from. What is that related to? And work on forgiving the connection of where that came from. Examine when you're most vulnerable. A lot of times when we're single, we're doing good, we're by ourselves. It's like, okay, I I got this. But when we are most vulnerable, when we are feeling like we're out of control in love, that's when we're most vulnerable to fear. So we want to start to slow down the reactiveness. Recognize the triggers. Notice, become more aware When you have the awareness of what you're doing and why you're doing it and where it comes from, you can work towards healing it and overcoming it. The next step is to start seeking a new vision for yourself. Who do you want to become? And what types of healthy behaviors accompany that 
new vision for yourself. Practice those new behaviors in small doses. Over time, you'll begin to transform and transition into this new person. And the next tip is to seek support and find a good witness. Someone that you can trust to help you notice your behavior. Someone that will support your commitment to overcoming these sabotaging behaviors. And allow yourself to find your own way to not try to control you. Say, oh, 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 you did that. Now you know that this is what you need to do next. No, they just bring it up. They say, hey, you know what? I did notice that when those triggers started to come up for you, they stay honest with you. They remind you of the promises that you made and they stay objective. And they keep their own needs completely out of this equation. The best person to work with on this is going to be some type of coach. A relationship coach would probably be best or a life coach or any type of coach that's going to help you with your self-development. A lot of times when we involve our family members or close relatives or friends, this can start to get a little bit messy because they're not always in that position to take on that responsibility to be that good witness for us. But if we have a coach that that is a part of their line of work, their career, they're trained in it, they know how to handle it, that's going to be the best person to help you through this process. And last but not least, stay focused. You're going to have setbacks a lot of times. Sometimes those feelings are going to come up and that's okay. You're transitioning into becoming a completely new person, a person that values relationships and values yourself in relationships. And so sometimes, yeah, those old triggers and old patterns are going to come up, but it's important to just be aware and stay focused on who you want to become. And also keep in mind that if you are in a current relationship, a lot of times we choose partners that are very symbolic of our parents and their behaviors. And if we're still in that relationship with them while we are transitioning into becoming this new vision for ourselves, this new person, a person that is healthier in relationships, we will most likely deal with some reinforcement of old negative behavior. So this is something to definitely be aware of. And they may also be sabotaging their relationship as well. Many times when we're growing, when we're changing, our partners, our close relationships are not going to like this because it feels like a threat. Change feels like a threat oftentimes, even if it's something that's positive. So that other person may try to sabotage you to keep you where you were before out of fear of the relationship changing or dissolving. So it's really important to be aware of this as you go into healing and becoming better and working through this process. But just remember that this is best for you so that you can live that life of love and healed relationships and not damage each other and not harm one another and not try to live in fear, but live in love. And that's why you're doing this. So I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. I know it was a lot, but I can't share with you 
the wonderful things of love and manifesting a partner and attracting love into your life and all of the bells and whistles and all the healthiness of relationships without going over what's really unhealthy and what could be blocking you from attracting the love that you really want and what you could be attracted to that's keeping you from the love that you really, really want. So I hope that you enjoyed this. Definitely share your feedback. Follow me on Instagram at I am Lindsay Christian. I'd be happy to share more with you. And remember all month long, we're talking all about love and relationships. And I can't wait to get into more information with you on all of these topics. So thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful rest of your day.